Let's read God's word. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility towards all people. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved, By all kinds of passions and pleasures, we lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Saviour, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want to stress these things, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. As soon as I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicolopolis, because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way, and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good, in order that they may provide for the daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Peter, to come up and um, I'll pray for you. Thanks, Johnny. And I'll pray for us. um, Just so everybody knows that Peter and Maeve have been back from the US for a couple of weeks. And uh, returning uh, tomorrow week. Tomorrow week. Yeah. Um, so yes, we've enjoyed Peter preaching last week, and we're going to pray for him again as he speaks uh, today. So let's just pray for them. Father, we thank you for your gifts to us, and we thank you for the way in which uh, your gifts come to us through people. And we thank you for Peter and for Maeve. And we ask that you would continue to give them strength physically and mentally for all that they are doing in their studies and preparation for Maeve and with her research. Give to her all that she needs day by day. We pray as well that you would give to them both the rest that they need, and that they would be refreshed so that when they return back to the U.S., um, they would be ready um, for a new term. Father, we pray for them and uh, we pray that they would also have good times with uh, family while they are here, enjoyable times. Uh, 
an opportunity to catch catch up with all of their friends. We pray for Peter now that he may know the power of your Spirit working in him and through him, that we also may know your Spirit helping us to not only understand your Word intellectually, but also that it would make its way deep into our hearts to change us and transform us into the people that you call us to be so that we make the teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, our Saviour, attractive to all around us. So bless Peter now and encourage us uh, through what we listen to. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Thanks Well, I'd like to yeah, just reiterate how uh, blessed we have been through your hospitality and through your prayers and through your support at this time. Um, so when we go back to the States, we'll have, uh, we'll have very fond memories of these few weeks that we've had uh, back home. So thanks so much for uh, being that for us. Um, so we have been looking at Titus for the last few weeks. Uh, it's only a short letter. When you look at it, um, in the red-covered Bibles, it's very clear. It's only less than two pages long, so I'd encourage us to be uh, reading that, maybe especially before Wednesday night, if you're going to come to our Gospel communities. Um, so we're going to review it on Wednesday night, the whole letter. Um, today we're going to look in particular at verses 9 to 15 of chapter 3. Um, for the sake of time, uh, I guess we can't look at the whole thing um, And it's good that we've read the whole of chapter 3 because uh, it's important for us not to forget uh, what we were saying last week. It's important for us not to forget what God has saved us from and what God has saved us to, and that being uh, at the very core of our faith, at the very core even of what we're going to be looking at today as well. As has been mentioned and as has been uh, drawn out very nicely in our uh, singing, we're looking at pure fellowship Uh, That's the theme for this morning. One of the things uh, that myself may have been aware of in the States is just the importance of a good diet. Uh, And yeah, just being able to eat well. Um, I don't know whether I've achieved that, uh, but I've certainly been aware of it. Um, In the States, they're facing what is an epidemic. Uh, Anywhere between 100,000 and 400,000 people a year die from uh, obesity-related illnesses. Um, which is actually horrendous when you think of it, um, that people are struggling to eat healthily and to live healthy lives. Uh, That's physically speaking. Spiritually speaking, for us, we want to live healthy lives. We want to have uh, pure fellowship, healthy fellowship with each other. And from this passage this morning, we're going to to tease out just three things, three key uh, ingredients or three key things um, that we can feed pure fellowship with. Um, so that our fellowship can be healthy and pure. The first thing we want to to look at is um, that pure fellowship is fed by pure divisions, uh, which is quite an alarming thing to say, but we'll we'll consider that a little bit more carefully. The second thing is that pure fellowship is fed by pure uh, decisions, and the third thing, pure fellowship is fed by pure devotions. Um, I hope that alliteration uh, is not uh, distracting. I think that's Uh, very uh, clear from the passage as we work through it. So firstly, pure fellowship is fed by pure divisions. 
Um, so Paul, in verses 9 and 10, he's calling us not only to, to avoid foolish controversies, in other words, uh, discussions or arguments about various things, um, but he's also calling us to avoid uh, foolish people. Um, in verse 9 he says, Avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law. Now, these things might be a little bit tricky for us to relate to. Uh, I can't remember the last time I had a, an argument about a genealogy or a quarrel about the law. Um, but it's important for us to try and understand uh, clearly what Paul is saying here. He's writing to Titus uh, in particular, in Titus's role as um, a leader in the church. And what he has in mind are controversies about the Old Testament, so Jewish uh, controversies that were going on at the time. If we look back at uh, chapter 1 and verse 10, just for a moment, um, where Paul writes, There are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they are ruining whole, ho- whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. Um, that, those two verses give us some idea of the types of things that were going on at that, at that time that Paul wants Titus to avoid. Um, even if we understand that, though, it still takes a little bit of work for us to understand what relevance has this for us today, 2,000 years later. So we may know that it's uh, Jewish uh, Old Testament controversies about circumcision or genealogies, um, but what relevance is that for us uh, today. If we remember last week in verse 3, we saw that we too were foolish, um, and that, that, that is something that God has saved us from. And so when we consider here that Paul is saying avoid foolish controversies, there's a very clear connection between um, what we were, that we were foolish, and again how we should live, um, that we should avoid, avoid foolish controversies. And so, as we mentioned at the start, all that God has done uh, is, is motivating what Paul is saying here and should motivate, motivate us accordingly. So Paul's principle, basically, is that um, rather than being uh, involved in foolish controversies, that we want to uh, avoid foolish controversies. Um, he, he chooses his words carefully, though, because when you think about Paul's life, uh, he was no stranger to controversy himself. Uh, When you think about Jesus, um, I would say he's the most controversial figure in all of history. He divides history. He divides people. Either you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior and live accordingly, or you uh, refuse to accept that. And so Jesus is very controversial. So it's not controversy in general uh, that Paul is uh, wanting Titus to avoid, but it's foolish controversies. It's the kind of controversies, as he says in verse, the end of verse uh, 9, controversies that are unprofitable, controversies that are useless, um, arguments that create more heat than light, arguments that, uh, that when we, when we look back on them, when we reflect on them, and we realize that was really uh, not worthwhile, that was really unfruitful, um, I really should have avoided that. So those are the kind of things that Paul wants Titus and us Uh, to avoid. And as we consider what that would look like practically, um, if we are to avoid foolish controversies, we realize that most of our controversies are with other people. Uh, So although 
Uh, you may be like me, where you have these controversies going on in your own mind, or arguments going on in your own mind. Um, the reality is most of our controversies are with other people, and Paul picks up on that. So if you look at verse 10, warn a divisive person, Paul says, once and then warn him a second time. As we read verse 10 and verse 11, it's important to remember that Paul is speaking particularly to Titus. Um, so there will be a temptation for us to, Im- to immediately jump into uh, Titus's role and say, oh, well, if Paul tells Titus to do this, then maybe I should go around warning people, uh, warning divisive people once or twice. Um, but our position in relation to this uh, letter that we are hearing is more as the congregation, uh, more similar to the congregation that Titus uh, cares for. And so Paul is saying that Titus has a, a God-given authority. Paul has left him there um, to appoint elders, as we saw back at the start of the letter. He has left him there to put in order what Paul has left to be done. And so Titus is an authority. Uh, he has to exercise discipline. Um, and the minute I say that word, I know some of us are thinking, that sounds very harsh. I mean, discipline, is a, that's a fierce thing to be doing altogether in this day and age. Um, but I think that's unfair. It's unfair to think that uh, discipline equates with uh, harshness. It's unfair to think that discipline equates with some kind of necessary evil. If you look at the way um, this discipline is to be exercised, look at the patience that's involved in this discipline. Warn a divisive person once. So something has been going on. This person has been causing division. So there's one warning, a clear warning, um, in order for the person to turn away from their divisive ways. The person continues, and and Paul says, warn him a second time. So this has been going on for some time now. Um, And the person is unwilling uh, to turn away from their divisive ways. And it's only then, it's only after these things, Paul says at the end of verse 10, that you're to have nothing more to do with them. We've seen this kind of attitude already. We saw it back in chapter 1, where the reason Paul tells Titus to rebuke people is so that they would be sound in the faith. That is Paul's concern. It's Titus's concern. And it should be our concern um, as we consider what, uh, what church discipline, um, what authority should look like uh, in the church. So there's great patience uh, involved in this. But there's also a realization that this is serious stuff. Um, As we read in chapter 1, the people of the circumcision group, they're upsetting households. These divisive people, by their very nature, divide people. So it's not just some abstract thing that's going on over here. It's actually causing upset in the church, in the body of Christ. And so when we are tempted to think that discipline is um, somehow bad or somehow a very mean or nasty of Titus to be doing, we must realize that this is serious stuff. And if it goes unchecked, the division will only spread. Now, there's no doubt uh, for Titus it would be an unpleasant thing to do to go to these people and to warn them. But Paul reassures him with these words in verse 11. You may be sure, Titus, he said, that such a man is warped and sinful, that such a man is self-condemned, which is serious, serious language from Paul. But that's how he 
That's how he affirms Titus in his role. There is a sense in which as Titus exercises this authority, there is something greater going on here because the person who continues in their divisive ways is identifying themselves. They're identifying themselves as a verse 3 and verse 4 person, someone who is still disobedient, someone who is still foolish. And so when we think about this discipline that's being exercised, we realize there's great patience here, and there's serious uh, stuff going on in the church for this to be happening, um, and we realize uh, that it's out of care, it's out of love, it's out of a a desire for the church not to be more divided. And in some sense, it's the person who is dividing things, bringing it on themselves as they continue in this way. Maybe a way to illustrate this um, would be to consider these nice uh, room dividers uh, beside us here, which serve a very helpful purpose uh, for us in this hall as we meet on a Sunday morning. They, uh, they create a, an area for which we can meet so that it doesn't feel too big uh, or too um, unintimate or whatever the, the proper word is there. So these room dividers are good. I want to say that clearly. What Paul is saying is that division in the church is bad. And so if we consider uh, these room dividers, if if they will fold away as they do, then we can uh, can remove the division by folding them. To to put in the parallel from this passage that we are looking at, if this person, if this divider of the church will be warned, if they will heed a warning, um, then we can get rid of the division. But if for some reason these room dividers rust up, if they just simply will not fold, if they simply will not be worn. The only way to get rid of the division is to get rid of the divider. And so that is what Paul instructs Titus to do. If this person continues, if they will not fold, if they will not be warned, then have nothing more to do with them. In other words, if you want to get rid of the division, if you want pure fellowship, You have to get rid of the divider. Now here's the thing. Uh, If you listen very closely, I'm going to let you in on a secret. We all love a good argument. Isn't that true? You're down in Barry Collins. You're browsing through the potatoes. The next thing you hear are voices raised down at the other end of the potato section. And you suddenly start taking a great interest in what you're looking at and you linger around this particular area for some reason. Um, and as the argument goes on, you're, you're thinking, this is getting really juicy and you're really enjoying it. It happens on Facebook as well. I think the reality is, we love, even, even if we might not love being in, a, in an argument, we certainly love hearing a good argument. And not only that, but we live in an age when there's plenty of opportunities to argue. I'm sure you've seen yourselves, if you're on Facebook or or any of those uh, internet thingies, uh, I'm sure you've seen yourself that the most innocent comment can lead to a a most heated debate, a most uh, vehement argument where people are getting worked up for apparently no reason. And so we like a good argument, wrongly, I think of us, and we live in a time when there's plenty of arguments to be had, which is a potent combination Um, And so as we consider Paul's instructions to Titus, it's quite relevant for us um, to be 
to be listening to what he is saying because of the times we live in. And then the flip side, as we've uh, noticed, is that um, divisive arguments um, are not very far removed from divisive people. Now, as we've alluded to, the question for us here is not so much who can I go around warning about their divisive ways. The question for us is am I willing to be warned about my divisive ways? Um, And that's an important thing to realize because often when we read passages like this, we put ourselves in the position where we are the authority, where we are the law, where we create the norm by which other people should live. But no, Titus is the one who has been given this authority and the vast majority of us are the ones who should be submitting to this authority, who should have humble hearts, who should be willing to heed a warning. So rather than taking the law into our own hands, we should be willing to heed, uh, to hear older Christians, wiser Christians as they come alongside us, as they seek out our good patiently and lovingly and caringly. So that's the first thing, and we've spent a little bit longer on that, that pure fellowship is fed by pure division. Um, Now, I hope you remember the content of that, because uh, the idea that pure division in the church uh, is a good thing is uh, maybe hard to to get our heads around. But let's let's remember that we need sometimes to avoid uh, controversial arguments and controversial people. The second thing we want to see is that pure fellowship is nourished or fed by pure decisions. And we see this in verses 12 and 13 where he says, As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good, Paul says, in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. So what we see worked out by Paul is an example of how to make good, pure decisions and how these decisions affect our fellowship. In verses 12 and 13, he's showing us an example of good planning and how planning affects our decision-making process. And we see that so much of his plans are people-based. So we have Paul himself, he has made his decision. We have Artemis, we have Tychicus, we have Zenos, the lawyer, we have Apollos. All of this planning that Paul is doing is based around people and where they're going to be, what they're going to be doing. And that's only the people he has named. There's plenty of people in in the congregations that are going to be affected by this planning as well. And so good planning is part of the pure decision-making process that in turn leads to pure fellowship. Uh, So we're on about three levels here. But good planning is essential, planning that works around other people, works around the people in the body of Christ here in Carrigaline. Another thing that, uh, that another element of our pure decision making um, is to do our best, to make our very best efforts. So uh, if you're like me, uh, you may be the kind of person who is very good at planning things. Um, but as long as the plans stay in your desk, uh, if you don't fulfill them, if you don't follow through in them, they're pretty worthless or um, there's no use to them. And so Paul says to Titus, do your best. In verse 12, do everything you can to help Zenos and and Apollos on their way. 
and that these people must learn to do to do what is good in, in other words to put in effort uh, to, to put in their best efforts in order for good decisions pure decisions to be made so Paul recognizes good planning uh, best efforts these are two things that are part of the, the decision making process um, but there's also a third thing which is vitally important and that is a recognition by Paul that there are human limitations um, so we're, we can't be everywhere at once uh, we don't know all things, we can't do all things. And so even though Paul has good plans, even though Paul expects best efforts from people, he also recognizes that people are limited individually and corporately. And so when he says, send Artem- I will send Artemis or Tychicus, it's one or the other. There's a reason that he's not sending both. Perhaps Tychicus might have to stay wherever he is uh, for another reason. And so when Paul tells Titus to come to him in Nicopolis, um, he realizes that if Titus comes to him in Nicopolis, that leaves a, a gap, a space where Titus would have been. And so he wants to send Artemis or Tychicus to fill that gap. And so he recognizes that people are limited. We are limited um, in who we are, in what we're able to do, in what we're able to understand. And so it's this kind of decision-making Um, that has good planning, uh, that puts in a good effort and realizes limitations um, that feeds pure fellowship. Uh, Maybe the most obvious illustration of this is where we we are right now on a Sunday morning at 11 o'clock or shortly thereafter. Um, When you consider a Sunday morning, it needs to be planned. Uh, There needs to be decisions made. People need to to know what's going to happen on a Sunday morning. And if that doesn't happen, some people might arrive at 10, some people might arrive at 12. The plans need to be made well. Not only that, but we need to put in the effort. So um, I'm sure most of us set our alarm clocks last night. We put in that intentional effort to be up on time uh, to get here. But there's also a recognition on a Sunday morning that we're limited, uh, that we can only do so much. And so as we consider the various things that are going on, the various ministries that are happening in our church, there's a realization that there's so much we could be doing, and yet there's only so much we can do. If we recognize that, it will help us to, uh, to not be um, small in our plans or small in our efforts, but, but it will help us to guard against a frustration where we see all that could be happening in Carrigaline, for example, and we, we feel inadequate or we feel unable to achieve it. Um, but if we recognize that these human limitations are part and parcel of who we are, um, then it will guard us against frustration, and it will feed pure fellowship So for us, the question is whether other Christians factor into our planning. There are plenty of motives involved in good planning, but this passage in particular is highlighting the need to recognize other people in our planning. It's also asking us whether we're putting in our best efforts um, in order to create pure fellowship, in order to, to make good decisions and follow through in them. And it's also asking us to recognize our limitations and the limitations of other people so that we do not put undue pressure or stress on people in a way that is, uh, they are unable to, to fulfill. And so that's the, the second thing we want to see. Pure fellowship is fed um, by pure decisions. 
And the last thing from this uh, passage this morning is that pure fellowship is fed by pure uh, devotion, uh, which is a much more exciting word than decision. Um, So when we consider uh, the the language that Paul uses here in, in verse 14, for example, he says, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good. Um, You may remember that phrase from such verses as uh, last week in verse 8, that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Within the space of six verses, Paul repeats it, and he wants us to remember it, and he wants it to be um, scorched into our memories, that we are to be devoted to doing what is good. And this, in turn, will lead and feed uh, pure fellowship. I guess, depending on the background you're from, uh, you may uh, respond to this phrase, devoted to doing what is good, differently. So um, perhaps you may think, well, I have to be devoted to doing what is good, because if I do enough what is good, uh, then I will get into heaven. Hooray! Or, you may be of the opinion that, um, well, no, I don't need to be devoted to doing what is good because Christ has done it all for me. Um, And it's certainly true that Christ has done everything for us. We saw that back in uh, the start of chapter 3, where it's not by our own righteousness that we are saved. But the tendency, the temptation can be to say, if Christ has done it all, I don't need to be quite so devoted uh, to doing what is good. But no, Paul says, God says to us this morning that we should be motivated, uh, we should be devoted to doing what is good because of all that we have seen in chapter 3 so far, because of all that God has done so far. That's certainly the primary motivation. But we should also be motivated by secondary things. There are urgent needs, there are daily necessities, as we see in verse 14. We should be motivated because there are things that people need. There are things that we might have. They might be gifts. They might be uh, financial resources. They might be time to pray. And there are things that we have that can uh, provide for daily necessities of others. A second motivation, um, to not live unproductive lives, um, which is a tempting thing thing to do, uh, to be unproductive in our lives. Um, It's tempting to say, well, I've been working hard. I just want to to just chill out and do nothing. Um, But Paul calls us here to be be motivated by the desire to live a productive life, to make the most of what God has given us. He says in verse 13, do everything you can um, to help Zenos and Apollos on their way, that they have everything that they need. And so Paul's attention to, to detail, attention to need in the lives of those around him is a good example for us. I think in order to to illustrate this idea that we are to be devoted to doing what is good, uh, maybe um, an experience that I've never had, which is being uh, at the start of a a race, uh, Shane will have it tomorrow, uh, in the marathon and others as well, is the sprinter at the start of a race, they they adopt a certain position, they lean towards where they're going to be going, They uh, they are ready to go when the gun goes off. And so when the gun does go off, um, there is an urgency, they, 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 they jump out of the blocks nearly um, because they have been leaning in that direction. 
For us, Paul says, we are to be leaning, our hearts are to be leaning towards doing what is good all the time. We saw that again in verse 1 of chapter 3. Be ready to do whatever is good. So there's a readiness, there's a preparedness uh, to do what is good. Um, Rather than leaning away from these things, rather than adopting a heart position uh, where where we lean away naturally from doing good. Paul's concern, it's not so much the nitty-gritty. He's not going around saying, Ralph, I want you to do this, or Chris, I want you to do this. His concern at this stage is for our hearts to be leaning towards doing what is good, to be devoted to it. Um, And he recognizes that this is something we need to learn. That's exactly the word he uses in verse 14. It's not something that necessarily comes naturally to us. And so you may ask, how will I learn such a thing? It feels quite unnatural for me. Um, Well, it's it's learned the same way many other things are learned, which is through practice. If you don't feel like you're leaning towards doing good, if you don't feel like doing good, um, Paul says to practice it, to follow the examples of others, to see the way in which others are are fulfilling need uh, around us, and to follow their example, to see the example of people in the Bible What we don't want to do at this point is to get into the the nitty-gritty of how to do this, but simply to recognize um, the heart devotion that is there, that we are to be devoted to doing what is good. It's interesting that Paul himself, again, sets a good example in this. He recognizes the need that will be there when Titus leaves, and and in order to fill that need, uh, he's going to send somebody uh, to that congregation Not only that, he recognizes that Zenos and Apollos have been on this long uh, journey, uh, which I always think of as something like out of Lord of the Rings for some reason. Um, But they're on this long journey. They may have no drinking water left. They may have no food left. And again, Paul recognizes the need. His heart is leaning towards doing what is good. In this case, he's distant from them, so he can't himself fulfill that need. But what he does is he writes to Titus, says, this is going to need to be fulfilled. This, this need is going to be uh, once satisfying. And he asks Titus to do it. So there's, there's just helpful examples of that in the scriptures um, and in, in the people around us uh, so that we can learn to devote ourselves to doing what is good. So that's our, that's our last point. Pure fellowship fed by pure devotion. Um, We've, we've looked at a lot. We've looked at how pure fellowship is fed by pure uh, divisions, um, that we are avoiding controversies, we're avoiding arguments that are fruitless and unproductive. We've looked at how pure fellowship is fed by pure decisions, in other words, that our, our decision-making is made around other people and take those people into account while recognizing their limitations. And we've seen just now that pure fellowship is fed by pure devotion, um, a desire, a leaning towards doing what is good. Um, it's, I think it's, it's really sad, uh, and yet it's really understandable that people in America and people everywhere in the world, nearly in the Western world, are struggling so much to eat healthy, li- or eat healthy food and to, to live healthy lives. It is a real challenge. Um, it's a real epidemic And maybe the same could be said of fellowship. If we want our fellowship with each other to be pure, to be healthy rather than malnourished and sick, we need to feed it this good diet of pure division, 
pure decision and pure devotion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us not to be like the the person who looks in the mirror and uh, after turning away forgets what he looks like, forgets what he has seen. Help us to, to take your word to heart today and in the coming days. Lord, we're conscious of the high calling that your word puts in our lives um, and we're thankful that you yourself, by the power of your spirit, enable us um, enable us to, to be living lives that are pleasing to you. Um, help us, Father, to, uh, to rest in what you have done in our lives, that you have saved us from what we were. Um, but help us to recognize, Lord, that you have saved us um, into this fellowship, into this body of believers, brothers and sisters, beyond, uh, beyond count, innumerable brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, help us to have a, a commitment to pure fellowship, Lord. Um, help us to encourage each other in the faith this day, uh, in the days ahead, Lord. And Father, we're, we're so thankful for what you have prepared for us, where one day we will all sing your praises together in heaven. Um, Father, we love you and we rejoice in your goodness to us. Um, thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks very much, Peter. Um, Well, we're going to sing our final song together.